How has your love or has your love led you to sacrifice for God? Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of, uh, of Mark? Would you do that? Turn to the Gospel of Mark. What's the most incredible expression of love that you've ever received from someone else? Was there ever a time when someone loved you in a way that you will never forget? I mean, it just was indelibly impressed upon you. Here's some examples of, of what I'm talking about, some extravagant love lavished on people. In 1997, Carlos uh, Rogers was with the Toronto Raptors, the basketball team, and uh, he had worked his whole life wanting to make it to the NBA, and he had, and he had a future in front of him, and his sister, his sister got very, very sick, and she needed uh, a kidney. He had made it to the NBA, made it to his career, his dream job, and his sister got sick, and she needed a kidney, and so Carlos Rogers left his job with the Raptors to give a kidney to uh, his sister. Unfortunately, his sister died before he could do that. But in, uh, in USA Today called Carlos the most unselfish man in the NBA. Even though his sister didn't get that lavish gift of love, that was a lavish gift of love, wasn't it? Uh, the SS Dorchester was uh, a ship during World War II on, on a weary, on a wintry, uh, cold night, 1943, about a thousand troops on the on the ship, it was hit by a German U-boat, began to sink. This was February 3rd. As she was going down, men were scrambling to the lifeboats, and um, uh, there was four chaplains on board, and a young GI came up to one of the chaplains, and he said, I've lost my life jacket, and the chaplain took his, his life jacket off. Before the evening was over, all four chaplains had given their life jackets away, and the last they saw of them was these men locked in arms, uh, praying and praising God on the deck of the Dorchester as it went down. A group of fishermen, here's another one, a group of fishermen, three fishermen and one of their sons were out fishing in Alaska. And they'd been fishing all day. They didn't realize that they were on one of those pontoon planes that flies in. The tides had gone down, so they weren't able to fly out. When they went back to the boat, it was, I mean, to the, to the aircraft, it was sitting on the, on the mud. And uh, so they weren't able to go till the next morning. The next morning they took off, but they didn't hardly get up at all. And the plane crashed back into, uh, into that body of water because the pontoons had punctured. One of them had punctured itself probably on one of those cypress sticks, you know, when it went down, it punctured itself, filled with water, and the plane crashed. Uh, there was, it was icy water. The, the three men and their one son fell overboard. Two men swam. They said it was as hard as they ever swam. They, they made it to the shore. But they looked back, and the third gentleman, whose son was with them, you know, he was a strong swimmer, but he never left his son's side. And the last they saw him was him and his son were being swept out out to sea. Those are lavish examples of extravagant love, right? Loving somebody with, with all of one's heart. One of my favorite stories, one more, one of my favorite stories, which I've told often, was about, and I think this is a true story from what I understand, this is a true story. A little boy was asked if he would give his blood to his sister, and he thought about it for a long time, and lip quivering, he said, yes. And they hooked him up to the IVs and all of that to give his sister some blood, and uh, he looked over to Doc, he says, Doc, when will I die? 
In other words, he thought he was giving his life for his, uh, for his sister. Jesus was asked, which was the greatest commandment of all? Remember this? And he, and he answered the question. He said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And that seems to me to say, love God extravagantly, right? Love God lavishly. So I kind of want to look at the question this morning, what does extravagant love for God look like? You know, if we were to have extravagant love, what would it look like? What, what, what would be characteristics of that kind of love? Again, if you're our guest this morning, we're studying through the biography of Jesus written by Mark, and we're at chapter 14. You're just beginning chapter 14, and so let me begin to read, because this is where we'll find the answer to that question, I believe. And in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. We're two days from Passover. Jesus has been in the city since uh, the previous Sunday. And there's a couple of things I'd like you to note, or a couple of thoughts I had as I read about these couple of verses. One was the leadership has decided to kill Jesus. I mean, it says that. They've already decided they want to kill Jesus. And uh, they're going to try to do it by stealth. They're going to try to do it in a way that not people wouldn't find out, people wouldn't know, because they said, we don't want to upset the masses because so many people were following after Jesus. And so they were trying to do it by stealth. They really weren't successful at that. At the end of the day, I mean, Jesus was crucified in front of all of Jerusalem, but I think by that point they, they didn't really care. The second thing that, that I thought from these verses, from those couple of opening verses of chapter 14, and, and this is really me chasing uh, just a path that really has nothing to do with the text, but I want to tell you, to you anyway. Uh, many believe, myself included, that God's intent was to sacrifice Jesus on the day of preparation uh, of the lambs of Passover. So Passover, if you'll remember from the Old Testament, was, was commemorating the fact that, that God was going to free Israel from Egypt, but the firstborn among the Egyptians were going to die. Actually, the firstborn everywhere was going to die. And God said, you sacrifice a lamb, put that lamb's blood on the doorpost of your home, and the, the death angel will pass over your firstborn, and they will not die. And that's what they did. And the firstborn of the Jews did not die. And so the Passover lamb was always killed the day before Passover, which is the day Jesus died. And, and so as we're approaching Passover, we're getting to that place. I think the Bible's trying to tell us that. We're getting to that place where Jesus would be sacrificed much like that Passover lamb. So here's a couple of verses from the scripture. John the baptizer would say to his disciples, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Bible, the Bible doesn't specifically say that Jesus is the Passover lamb, but John seems to apply it. But then Paul says this, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be unleavened, uh, unleavened batch of bread as you really are. For Messiah, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And so Jesus was sacrificed. Jesus was, would die on the day of preparation. And I just find it interesting that as we get into chapter 14, we're talking about the fact that they have decided they're going to kill the Lord Jesus. And then what happens? Well, verse 3, and this is the, the heart of our, of our story, of our thoughts this morning about what extravagant love looks like. 
This happens in chapter 3, I mean in chapter 14, verse 3. And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. They scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And she has done what she, ha- what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the good news, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is a very famous story. You've probably heard it before. I mean, if you've been much involved at all with the church, you've probably heard this story before. It's found in all four biographies of Jesus. Um, although it's pretty much universally agreed that three of them are talking about one anointing of Jesus and a fourth one is talking about a different one. Luke talks about something different. Matthew, Mark, and John talk about, I believe, the same anointing of Jesus, the same pouring of oil on Jesus. Now, there are some differences between Matthew and Mark's accounts and John's accounts, which have led some commentators to say that there's really three different anointings of Jesus. I don't agree with that. John's account is just too similar to Mark's and Matthew's, though it has some differences. It's just too similar to be something different. Now, if we combine all three of these accounts, Matthew, Mark's, and John's, Here's what we find out about that evening. It takes place in Bethany. Jesus has arrived, according to John, in Bethany about six days prior to the Passover. Matthew and Mark tells us that this dinner takes place two days before the Passover. It's a dinner at the house of Simon the leper. Although there are some, there is some evidence that, uh, in language evidence that that's a mistranslation that it, it should have been Simon the devout. But, uh, I, I kind of think it was Simon the leper. The problem is lepers don't throw parties, right? In fact, lepers don't have anybody in their homes. But, uh, but what if this was a leper that Jesus had healed? What if Simon was a leper that Jesus had touched somewhere in his three, min- three years of ministry? Uh, he would be pretty, pretty devout, I think. Lazarus and Martha and, uh, and Mary, two sisters and a brother, they're all at this dinner party, and it's, uh, Martha is serving. That leads me to speculate something, and I want you to know I'm speculating this. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a guess at it or whatever. Maybe Simon is Martha and Mary's and Lazarus' dad. He's not his, their dad. See, if he's his dad, if he's their dad, and God healed him from leprosy, that would explain to us this close relationship between the three of them uh, and the Lord Jesus. Maybe he's an uncle. I'm not sure, but I have a feeling he's family because Martha is serving him at this time. Uh, Mary... We know Mary is the one that walks into the room. uh, Matthew and Mark don't mention the woman's name, but John does. And and so it's Mary, the the sister of Martha and Lazarus, that comes into the room with this flask of very expensive perfumed oil. And all three writers speak of how costly this oil was. She breaks the neck of the flask and she pours it all out. 
Matthew and Mark tell us that she pours it out on the head of Jesus. John says she poured it out on his feet. I think it's very easy to assume that she had poured the oil on his head, maybe down his tunic, as we read in the psalm, was it Psalm 155? Uh, 155, how wonderful it is for the oil running down uh, Aaron's head, his beard, and onto his tunic. Yeah, it probably ran all the way down Jesus, and she anointed his feet as well. Matthew tells us that the disciples were upset with this. They were angry. Um, and it doesn't tell us who they were, although Judas will end up being one who speaks up. Judas says, what a waste. This perfume could have been bought uh, and could have, could have brought 300 denarii to help the poor. A denarii is a, a day's wage at $15 an hour, which seems to be about the new norm now. That's $36,000, uh, $36,000 worth of perfume that she poured out on Jesus. Probably a, an heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation. John tells us that Judas really didn't care about the poor. His motive was actually to pilfer from the purse, and he was the treasurer. And so it could have been that he was thinking, well, if we make 300 on that, I could, I could take some of it. That may have been his motivation. But it's not just Judas. It says disciples. The disciples were upset uh, with, uh, with Mary for doing this. I don't think that necessarily means all of them, but at least some of them were upset. Jesus, on the other hand, defends Mary. He says, the poor you'll have with you always, but you won't have me. And then he adds, what she did was anoint me for my burial. And uh, I doubt the disciples, or maybe even Mary, I'm not sure they even understood that statement. Maybe they did. I'm, you know, He'd been talking about his death, but I, I don't know that they really understood all of this. So if I had to title the story, I would call it this. I would call it a story of extravagant love. And using Mary as our example, let me show you some things about extravagant love. Here's the first one. Extravagant love for Jesus is that which cost us greatly. That's what makes it extravagant. That's what makes it lavish. That's what makes it extra special, right? Because it's something that, that cost us. This was a year's salary that Mary poured out on him. And it was extravagant that she didn't pour out some of it. She did it without restraint. She poured out every bit of it. Mary's love is what led her to do that for Jesus, to, to pour out this great sacrifice. Think about my opening stories just a few minutes ago about extravagant love. What was it that, what is it that stands out about them? It's about someone loving someone with sacrifice. It's about someone loving someone and just kind of giving their all for, for that person. I don't know if this is true, but I want to make the statement nonetheless. You can have sacrifice for Jesus without love for Jesus, but you can never have true extravagant love for Jesus that does not involve sacrifice. Something that occurred to me when I was working on this is this. God has loved you and me with an extravagant love. And we've been talking about us loving God with an extravagant love, but can I tell you, God has loved you with an extravagant love because God became one of us and then was willing to give his life in death for us. So he's loved us with extravagance. You don't think you get more extravagant than laying down your life for someone, right? Did you know that in light of God's extravagant love, Paul says that loving Jesus sacrificially is your reasonable service of worship? Because, because God loves us extravagantly and dies for us, right? He says, your proper response should be to love God back sacrificially or extravagantly. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Eric Feldman uh, used to write for the Moody Monthly, and he tells about a time he met a Chinese couple in Hong Kong. 
Well, he was traveling to China and he was stopping in Hong Kong. And a friend of his took him um, down a narrow alley to a second floor flat to meet a man recently released from prison in China. I'm going to just read you his words instead of trying to tell it. I I knew I would be pressed to carry Bibles and literature on my trip, but I was hesitant and tried to mask my fear with rationalizations about legalities and other concerns. A Chinese man in his 60s opened the door. His smile was radiant, but his back was bent almost double. He led us to a sparsely furnished room. A Chinese woman of about the same age came in to serve us tea. She lingered, and I I couldn't help but notice how they touched each other and lovingly looked at each other. My staring apparently didn't go unnoticed, for soon they were both giggling. What what is it? I asked my friend. Oh, nothing, he said with a smile. They just wanted you to know that it's okay. They're newlyweds. I learned that they had been engaged in 1949 when he was a student at Nanking Seminary. On the day of their wedding rehearsal, Chinese communists seized the seminary. They took the students to hard labor prison for the next 30 years. 30 years, the bride-to-be was allowed to visit him only once a year. Each time followed those brief moments together, the man would be called to the warden's office. You may go home with your bride now, He would say, if you will renounce Christianity. Year after year, the man replied with just one word, no. I was stunned. I was stunned. How had he been able to stand the strain for so long, being denied his family, his marriage, and even his health? That's what we as Western American Christians would probably ask. Of course, this guy was that, right? When I asked, he seemed astonished at my question. He replied, with all Jesus has, all Jesus has done for me, how could I betray him? That's what the Chinese gentleman said back to him. The next day, I requested that my suitcases be crammed with Bibles and training literature for Chinese Christians. I determined not to lie about my materials, yet lost not one minute of sleep worrying about the consequences. And as God had planned it, my suitcases were never inspected. Has your love, here's my question for us, because this is supposed to be, we come here to hear from God and to be challenged. So here's my question for all of us. How has your love or has your love led you to sacrifice for God? Have you ever thought about what the sacrifice that God desires from each of you is? What is that sacrifice that God desires from us? Well, I think we find it in the book of Psalms where David says the sacrifices of God are a broken and a a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And you may say, well, what is that? What's a broken and contrite heart? Well, here's what it is. A broken and contrite heart is a heart that's broken of self-will and is surrendered to God's will. If you want to love God extravagantly, here's what's got to happen. You've got to be willing to give Him your life. You've got to be willing to surrender your life to Him. Will it cost you? Absolutely, it's going to cost you. It'll cost you everything. David, King David once said, I will not give to God anything, though that which costs me nothing. Extravagant love number two, extravagant love for God means holding nothing back. Mark's the only one that records this, that she broke the neck of the vial. In other words, so here's a flask, most likely had a long skinny neck with a thing that went in the top of it, right? Like some sort of stopper. She took it and she busted it. She busted the neck off of it, right? And she began to pour it out. And the reason she did that was she was making a statement, I'm not holding anything back. I'm giving all of this, I'm giving all of this on Jesus. This is all for Jesus. 
And I thought about this this morning when I was kind of going over this. I thought maybe the disciples were upset, not because she poured out that oil on Jesus. Maybe they were upset because she broke the neck of it. In other words, that she didn't just pour it out in moderation. You know, maybe that's why they were so upset about that. You remember the widow lady that Jesus watches from across the temple court when she puts in two pennies and he says to his disciples, she's given more than all of these rich people who've been given tons of money. They've been making it clang when it falls into the tubs, right? He says she's given more than all of them. And when he says why, it's because she gave all that she had. The hymn writer put it like this, Jesus speaking, I left it all for thee, what hast thou left for me? I've borne it all for thee, what hast thou borne for me? You know, when I think about this giving all for Jesus, my mind goes to uh, William Borden. I've told this story before, maybe you'll remember it, but Borden was born in the late 1800s. He was born to privilege. He was a very rich young man, but he came to Jesus at a very young age, and he Loved Jesus. And I think at 17, he went off to Yale to prepare himself to be a missionary. So while he's in college, he inherits this enormous wealth, an enormous wealth. And, um, and what he does is he gives it all away, gives it all away. And you know what he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible? He wrote this, no reserves, no reserves. When he finished uh, seminary or finished college, he got offered all kinds of high-paying jobs. But Bill Borden had felt like God had called him to the mission field. You know what he wrote? He turned them all down. You know what he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible under no reserves? He wrote, no, uh, no retreats. And he went off. He was going to be a missionary to Chinese Muslims. So his first place to go was over to uh, Egypt, where he was going to study Arabic. And he was 25 years old, and there he contracted spinal meningitis just a few months after he'd been there. And he died. He died. And uh, the news of his, of his death, I mean, spread across America. Uh, and people were saddened by that. But after his death, they, they had his Bible, and in his Bible, under no reserves and no retreats, he'd written one more word, and he'd obviously written it as he was dying. And his, and I'm getting choked up, his last word was, no regrets. No regrets. Extravagant love loves with all it has, with all its heart, with all its mind, with all its strength. And it says no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Extravagant love for Jesus is seen in, in extrav- excuse me, extravagant love for God is seen in extravagant love for Jesus. You might think I'm just, what I'm trying to say is here, Mary loved Jesus. And to love Jesus is to love God. I mean, you know, Jesus, when, when asked and when, when called on this, he said, man, when you've seen me, you've seen God. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So to love Jesus is to love God. Extravagant love of God is seen when we love the Lord Jesus. And Mary seemed to get this, maybe more so than so many even of his disciples. Do you remember when they're at Martha and Mary's house at some point during the three years and Martha's, all the disciples, there are lots of people there. Martha's busy, you know, cooking for everybody. And Mary is not cooking and not serving and not helping. She's in the living room sitting at Jesus' feet or wherever they are. She's seated at Jesus' feet and she's just listening to him. 
And when Martha gets upset about it and comes to Jesus and said, make Mary help me, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to because Mary's chosen the good thing right here. And the good thing was what? The good thing was Jesus. Extravagant love is measured in, in what we do with Jesus. So here's my question for you on this point. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? You know, or do you do what you do for the approval of others or do you do it for the approval of Jesus? Do you do what you do? Do you live your life with personal recognition of Jesus or, or do you live for your own personal recognition? If you want to love God extravagantly, if you want to love Jesus extravagantly, you've got to, to love Jesus and not yourself. You've got to love him more than you love yourself, more than you love the things that you want. And I'm the first to tell you that is really hard. It's really hard when you want something and God doesn't want that for you. It is so hard to die to yourself and live for Jesus. Extravagant love for God doesn't care what others think about us. I can't imagine that Mary didn't didn't know that they were talking about her. I mean, it says that they were confronting her, but it seems like she just didn't care. Extravagant love for God, extravagant love for Jesus doesn't worry about what other people think. You know, it doesn't worry about what other people say. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm so prone to want to, I'm so prone to worry about what you think about me. Right? And, and, and so, and again, I'm not trying to say we act like idiots or we're mean or anything like that. I'm simply saying that, you know, extravagant love for God says, God, all, what I really care is about what you think of me. What I really care is about what you want me to do, not what other people think about me. And I've heard this re- repeatedly, and I'm not, I promise you, I promise you, I'm not trying to manipulate you with this next thing, but I, but I, but I want you to hear this. I have heard so many times as a pastor for the last decades, I, I hear this all the time, man, God was, God was tugging on my heart. God was working on me, and, and I just felt like I should respond. But I kept thinking, what would so-and-so think? What would so-and-so think, Right? I'm telling you, listen, everyone, when God's tugging on us and and that spirit of God is working in our hearts, extravagant love says, man, I don't care what so-and-so thinks. I don't care what so-and-so is going to do. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Extravagant love doesn't care. And uh, Mary sure took a hit from Judas and some of those others, but the impression is she, I won't say she was oblivious to it, but it didn't impact her. Because she kept on pouring oil out all the way down his head and to his feet. Extravagant love for God may be openly criticized by your extravagant love for God, may be openly criticized by others. We just saw that. Mary's love for Jesus is criticized by others. Your love may be criticized, may be despised by uh, maybe people who don't know the Lord. Maybe some people who do know the Lord will despise your act of love. In this case, Judas is the main mouth. But, but again, I mean, some of his disciples, it says that, um, that they, were, they seemed to be against what she was doing. You do something out of love for Jesus, and let me tell you, there's a good chance your, people are going to malign your judgment, they're going to impugn your motives, and they're going to vilify your actions. They're going to say things like, what a waste. What a waste. Can't you hear them now? A lesser perfume would have done just the same thing. Or why did you have to break the neck of the perfume, Mary? Why couldn't you just support some of it out? We could have we could have used the rest in missions, right? We could have saved it for missions and sent missionaries around the world. 
They might have said, how irresponsible. Think about the poor people that around the world who really don't have hardly anything to eat. Man, we could have used that money. There, there is not much you can do about that. But, but I want to promise you this. God says he will justify your motives. Aren't you glad about this? God looks at every one of your motives. I mean, you don't have to prove your motives to me. God, you don't have to prove your motives. I shouldn't say to me. You don't have to prove your motives to anybody, to your friends, to your children, to your, to your parents. You know, God looks at your motives and he sees your motive. And, and listen to what he says to us. This is from Isaiah. This is Old Testament, but I think it applies. Isaiah the prophet said to the people of God, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. You've heard me say many times, man, you know, the, the enemies of God's people can, they can kill us. They can kill our They can make us die. I mean, they can put us to death. They can make us lose on so many fronts. But our vindication will be from the Lord. He will vindicate all of our motives. Extravagant love will be remembered. Jesus says, wherever the good news is preached around the world, what Mary has done will be remembered. And and once again, one more time, we're fulfilling those, those words of Jesus. Why do we remember William Borden? Why, why is it I can't forget William Borden? I, I, William Borden comes into my mind every so often. Why is it I can't forget William Borden? Why, why, why can't I forget Mary or Mother Teresa or Jim Elliot or countless others? Why, why do I remember them? Why do you remember them? You remember them because of the extravagance of their love. And here's, here's the point, man. Here's the point. Jesus says of Mary, everywhere the good news is preached, that's going to be remembered. Okay, what she's done is going to be remembered. I want to say to you, your extravagant love for Jesus will be remembered by those around you forever. I think if you extravagantly love Jesus in such a way that others see it, they will remember. And I'm not saying doing it so they will see it. I'm just simply saying it, it turns out that they see it. It will be remembered because because of its sacrifice, because of its grandioseness, because of its outlandishness, right? It burns on our heart and impresses us. It impresses us. Oh, I had one more. I'm sorry. Last one. Extravagant love for Jesus is pleasing to God. Mark 14, 6 and 9, make it clear. Jesus said, let her alone. Can you imagine? They're picking on her. They're, they're, they're saying bad things about her. What a wasteful person you are. And Jesus says, stop. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. What she has done is good. It's good. I think it's good. She's done a good thing for me. And I think this is one of the neatest things about extravagant love is that it pleases Jesus. It pleases God. It pleases the Lord. Your extravagant love may may rile other people up, but it pleases the Lord. It's something good for Him. And I, I hate to admit this, uh, since I'm such a spendthrift, such a plain Jane, uh, such a, yeah, I know some of y'all are so tired of it. And you're looking forward to my retirement. Because <laughs> the gatekeeper of finances will be not here anymore. I'm going to pray the next pastor will have my spirit. But, um, but uh, a case can be made. For God to be extravagant. I mean, think about it. Was the temple and the tabernacle, were those not extravagant places of worship? And for what? They were for God, right? But they were extravagant. 
There was nothing cheap or adequate. They didn't buy anything on eBay. I mean, it was, it was the best. We get to the book of Revelation, and, and the new Jerusalem is described with streets of gold and, and walls laced with precious stones and a little bit extravagant, don't you think? But that's how God's describing the, the new kingdom of the new Jerusalem. Nobody loved God the Father more extravagantly than Jesus the Son. And the Father says of Him, This is my Son, and I am well pleased with Him. Here's my point. When we love the Lord with extravagance, God is blessed. God is pleased. And He commends you for your extravagance. He he loves your extravagance. He loves your extravagance. So pleased was God was God with Mary's act of love that it's recorded in three of the Gospels of the biographies of Jesus. And in each one it says, you know, she'll be remembered. And here's one more thought about John, John's, John's Gospel. Remember that at the very end of it he says, man, we could have written books and books and books about everything that Jesus did, right? Well, God took the time to put this story in three of his biographies. So if you would love Jesus extravagantly, and don't worry about what everyone else says, you're going to please the Lord. Now, I'm at the end, so I want to, I want to kind of make this applicational for us this morning. I want to help us. So maybe you're asking yourself, as I did, because I did, as I sit at my desk, this is, this is kind of how it flows for me. And I asked, Jimmy, how do I love Jesus extravagantly? Or God, how do I do that? How does Jimmy do that? And... Uh, If I'm right, that extravagant love for Jesus is simply lavishing on God, listen, all the love of our heart, all the love of our soul, all the love of our mind, all the love of our might. That's what, that's what, that's what extravagant love is. It's just loving God with every area of my life and an area in every area where my life touches, right? And so I want to challenge us to love God extravagantly in three of those areas. Here's the first one. I want to challenge you and me to lavish extravagant love on God in the realm of our resources. Okay? Um, I want to encourage you to pour out your resources on Jesus and His kingdom. And the three resources that we all know we have are time, treasure, and talents. Now, most people who don't know us, most people who don't darken the door of a church, or maybe people that have come every so often, they think all that, that Christians want from us, all that a pastor might want from, from folks is their money. So I'm just going to mention, love God with all your treasure, okay? I'm not going to go down that road, but I believe we should love God with all of our treasure. But I do want to talk about the other two. I, I want to challenge you to love God with your time. Love God with your time. You know, time is your most valuable commodity. Did you know that? It's not your, it's not your money. Time is your most, most valuable resource because you only have a very limited amount of time and you really can't add to what it's going to be, right? And so loving God extravagantly would be loving God with that time that you have. Giving your time to Him. And that time might be in the morning, waking up early and, and getting out a Bible and just saying, hey, Jesus, I want to get to know you better. And reading, giving time to read your Bible, right? That, that would be lavishing extraordinary love on God by giving Him your time in that way. But it could also be in serving the kingdom purposes. Giving your time to serve the kingdom purposes. 
I mean, yeah, serve the kingdom with, with what time you have. I, I think that's how we extraordinarily love God. And your talents, your talents are your abilities. All of you have been given talents and abilities. Some of you are good at business. Some of you are good at, oh, I don't, shouldn't have gone down this road. Some of you are just so good at everything, right? Just use whatever you're good at. Use it for his kingdom. Give your talents to the Lord. That's all i got to say about that. Here's the second area I want to encourage you to lavish extravagant love on God. It would be in the offering of worship. Did you know that this was an act of worship for Mary? It really was. It was an act of and, and, and when we worship God, we're, we're giving Him our love, we're giving Him our praise, we're recognizing Him for who He is. She was anointing Jesus, and she knew it. And she was extravagant about it, you know? She was extravagant. You know, I, I, I get it. It gets tiring coming to worship on Sundays. And I could use my resource of time to do some other things, right? Like I could be out on the golf course this morning. I don't play golf, but if I did, I could be out there this morning, right? Or can you hunt on Sundays now? On Sundays, you hunters, you could be out in the woods on Sunday morning hunting. You know, so, so there's all kinds of ways to use our time. But, but I'm telling you, I want to encourage you to love God extravagantly in worship. I guess that begins with the lavishing your time on Him. But when we gather in a place like this, you can be extravagant in your love. Stop worrying about what other people think about you. So sing when we come in here. Because you know why we sing? We sing because God loves and appreciates our praises. He says things like, I dwell within the context of your praises. So the, the presence of God is, is in a place like this when we're singing. So help us sing. Pray. You know, give your heart in praise and prayer. Do whatever the Spirit is prompting you. Worship with your body. You know, and what I mean by that is, some of you, I bet you at times you want to raise your hands, but you're from a Baptist background, you're not comfortable with that. Listen, put all those things aside and just love Him lavishly in worship. Worship with your bodies. I, I appreciate it. Somebody stood up this morning. People were raising their hands during worship. Uh, Russell yells out amen all the time, right? He's the only one. I appreciate that, Russell. You are worshiping. You are worshiping, not care. You are worshiping with your voice, right? And if any of you, there you go, right? So if you want to join Russell, feel free and sing amen whenever you want to. What do you point at? Oh, yeah, Earl does some too. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Earl, you're too quiet, man. I hear Russell all the time. Here's my... yeah. <laughs> Here's my point. Raise your hands. Raise your voices. Cry if you need to. Come to the altar and kneel. If you do, let, let the Spirit lead you. I'm not trying to say be, not be a, a, a distraction. I'm not saying that. Don't be a distraction. But I'm saying, I guess that's what we're afraid of. I shouldn't have said that. I just, I just undid what I did, right? <laughs> we're afraid of being a distraction. Just lavish worship on God when we come together. Lavish worship on Him when you're with Him privately in your own, in your own time. Sing to Him. I mean, if you don't like to sing in here because you feel like you don't sing very well, sing by yourself. Like I do on the live stream sometimes. <laughs> when this is the only thing being recorded. So uh, anyway, and finally, you can lavish extravagant love on God in the arena of obedience. I don't think Mary did what she did out of obedience to a command of Jesus. He never said, hey, somebody come anoint me with oil. He never said that. 
But she listened to him. She listened to him. And she believed his words when he said, I'm the Messiah. She believed, right? And what does Messiah mean? Somebody, what does Messiah mean? Anointed king, right? Anointed king. This was Mary's act of worship in obedience to what she believed about Jesus, that he was the anointed king. And so she was going to anoint him with her oil, her very costly oil. She did that, she did that out of obedience to what she knew the word of God said. And I guess if there's any area that Jesus and God want us to love him extravagantly, it would be believing his words and obeying his commands. Believing his words and obeying his commands. Here's one thing Jesus said clearly. If you love me, keep my commandments. Here's another thing Jesus said. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. What if all of us here this morning, every one of us, began to lavishly love Jesus by lavishly And I'm not even sure that's a good adjective. Lavishly obeying Him. Completely obeying Him. Jesus told us, teach my disciples to do this. Teach my disciples to obey everything that I have commanded you. Everything I've commanded you. So you know, like love that neighbor that is so unlovable. Maybe take your vacation money that you've been saving to help your coworker make a house payment so he doesn't lose his house or her house. People will notice when you lavishly love God in obedience to whatever the Spirit is telling you. This pericope, and that's probably a word you don't know, so I'm going to teach you a new word. Pericope means story or portion of a story. This pericope ends with Judas making a decision. Let me read the words again. Then Judas Iscariot, I'm going to add this in, who was one of the twelve, got up from that time, And went to the chief priest in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Remember, they're looking for an opportunity to to kill Jesus in private. Judas says, I'll give you that. He'd had enough. I'm done with Jesus, thought Judas. I don't want to have any more to do with him. I I don't know what all his motives were, what was going on in his head or anything like that. But, but he took it so far that he decided to turn Jesus in to the Pharisees so that they could do what they wanted to do with him. And, and he did it for money. So I'm offering all of us, myself included, and I'm offering all of you two choices this morning. You can love God like Mary, or you can reject God like Judas. You can love Jesus like Mary, or you can reject Jesus like Judas. And I know lots of people think we have a middle, middle ground there. And they, the middle ground that people think they have is indifference. They think it's indifference, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not against Jesus. I believe in him, right? I believe in him, but, but I'm not going to follow him. So I'm going to be in the middle. I'm going to be indifferent. Here's what Jesus said to that indifference. Many will come to me on that day and say, we did all kinds of things for you. We were baptized. We were generous to others. Whole litany of things Jesus said. I never knew you. Here's another one. Um, He said this, if you are not for me, you are against me. And I don't think he's talking about an intellectual thing there. I really don't. I think he's talking about if, if your life is not for him, then you are against him. God was always, always calling us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the greatest commandment. 
It's to love God extravagantly, okay? In the last book of the Bible, God says he will vomit us out of his mouth if we are indifferent. So, which is it going to be? Are we going to love Jesus with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our might? Love him extravagantly? Or are we going to be like Judas? Because remember, I don't think that indifferent spot is open to us personally. I think if, if there's a line, love Jesus, follow Jesus, not follow Jesus, reject Jesus. Which is it going to be? Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to pastorjimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.